Hey guys, I'm Chris. Hey everybody, I'm Robert. And we're the Film Flamers. And it's time for our yearly Up in Flames episode where we lay waste to the year previous by talking about the movies that we loved and sometimes didn't love. It's going to be a massacre. That's right. Because we're doing 2021. A massacre for everybody, really. Ugh. So how did you feel about horror in 2021 as a whole? I um, I was kind of disappointed. I'm pretty sure that this is just because I watched so much more horror this year. Like I really made a concentrated effort. Yeah. In uh, you know December and January to really catch up on all the horror that I'd missed, and it just seems like there's such a sea of like three star, two star horror movies. And I don't know, maybe I like shielded myself from that a little bit in previous years, but this year I also just don't have that many that I've rated super highly. Yeah, I don't either. I mean, it's a lot of mediocre movies. And um, I feel like when you compare it to like 2018, 2019, 2020, where we seem to have like just movies that were exceptional, or at least multiple exceptional movies. That said, we do have quite a bit to talk about as far as really good things. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And I think we have to preface this conversation like we do every year by saying these are our opinions, you know, and it's perfectly valid for you to agree or disagree with any of them. And, you know, that conversation can happen on social media like it always does. And also we haven't seen everything, right? So if we say like this was our favorite movie, clearly we've missed them along the way. Give us some time. We'll catch up. Yeah. And just because our opinions are better than yours doesn't mean you should get your feelings hurt. That's right. I mean, you should know by now. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, we don't really like to spend too much time shitting on things. So do you want to talk about some of your biggest disappointments this year? Sure. Let's just talk about Army of the Dead. I mean, number fucking one. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, like that C I was talking about of two and three star movies. This is on the, I don't know, the bedrock ocean floor. (laughs) Of that sea. And it is it is probably my one of my lowest rated films of the year, horror or not. I think I actually gave it three stars, you know what I mean? But that's like toward the lowest of my ratings. So I mean and I tend to rate movies higher than a lot of people, I get that, you know, but my God, uh, this movie was long. Yeah. And lo- let me go ahead and pre- preface this by saying this doesn't necessarily mean these are the lowest scores. These are just the biggest disappointments because of expectations. True. Right. Yeah. yeah. So we're not going to be talking about things that were surprises or like we didn't anticipate army that it was something that we both anticipated. Right. Because mm-hmm. this is one of our, you know directors that we've talked about quite a bit with like Dawn of the Dead remake, you know, and a lot of the other things that he's made, but army of the dead, it was just like, he was given keys to the kingdom, essentially like unlimited budget, do whatever the fuck you want. And he basically made a bunch of other people's movies, you know, in a, in a, kind of a really good looking package, but kind of shittily done. Like, is this the best you can do with unlimited creative freedom as well as money? Like this is such a disappointment for, for Zack Snyder. I mean, he even got to make another movie sort of in the same universe about like a heist. Right. And like, I didn't watch that one just because I was so disappointed by army of the dead. I felt like it was a convoluted movie that made like very little sense at points. And I mean, I, another reason that this movie was so, I was so turned off by it maybe is because like, it seemed like there was a legion of fanboys, you know, like calling it the best thing ever. And they couldn't really say why. Only because of DC, yeah. right? He's gotten this legion of fanboys where he's got like this weird shield on him, you know, from like the, like the super, super fans over there. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I certainly like the Snyder cut of Justice League better than whatever had come out before. Fuck you, Joss Whedon. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. Like Zack Snyder is a good visual director. 
Yeah. You know, but he really handles his work best when other people are writing and other people are in, in, in charge of story. You know, you could say that his best films are based on other people's stories, right? Yeah. Like 300 is based on another story. And of course, Dawn of the Dead is based on another story. You know, um, the his movies that are based on kind of more of him, like Army of the Dead or Sucker Punch, aren't as good, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I agree. And I feel like we've talked about this movie on the podcast already, so this should come as no surprise, you know. Yeah. And like I said, for all those people who who really enjoyed this movie, that's that's perfectly fine. You know what I mean? But I saw so much so much like vitriol on social media of, you know, like name calling and, and saying that you, you can't be a horror fan if you didn't think this was like the best movie ever. And I'm like, like that. that's got to stop. Well, first know? of all, like it followed a lot of plot beats. It was like we basically tried to make aliens essentially in the, uh-huh. in the latter half of the movie. And it was just like, do your own thing. True. Or just get it out of your system and suck James Cameron's cock. You'll wait in line behind me. (laughs) Fucking line starts here. So I was really disappointed by a movie that I was kind of looking forward to because we had talked about the news of this movie on Shooting the Flames before and I was watching its production. And thankfully, I think you haven't seen it. So you've been shielded from this horror. And that was the reboot of Wrong Turn. Oh, God. No, I haven't. I, I, I blacklisted it after you completely shot on it. I gave it one and a half stars. It was my lowest rated movie of the year. A reboot, you know, is fine if you're going to change everything about it. And they did, you know, they took up, they took out some of those like deformed hillbillies and they just put in some regular hillbillies. And I don't, there's just something about this movie that was not great. Um, a lot of it was like sort of like culture shaming and they, they really took some of the fun spirit out of what wrong turn is and they made it into kind of a message movie, but the message was muddled. And um, I just didn't like it. I didn't like it a lot. Well, actually. why even? It's just one of those that are just like grabbing the coattails of another franchise mm-hmm. and kind of not doing, you know, I don't know, because I feel like Poltergeist is one thing and Halloween is another. And, it, you know, Wrong Turn isn't really like, I don't even know if it's a cult classic. It's just it was a pop film, a pop horror yeah. film. I mean, people of a certain age like it and remember it, I'm sure. But it's not – I don't think it's on anyone's radar. But people all over social media were saying how good this was. This is why I watched it in the first place. You know, I was a little late to the game. came out a couple months, you know, before I watched it. And I was just like, How? I mean, like, I just did not like this movie at all. In fact, I stopped watching it and there was like 15 minutes left in the movie. And I was like, I'm not, I can't do this anymore. And I walked away. And then two days later, I was like, no, I'm a fucking purist. I'm going to go finish that movie. And I was just like, you know what? I should have just not watched that last 15 minutes. <laughs> wow. And was it like, were, were you missing some sort of finale or something? Like you literally got so frustrated with that film that you shut it off before Anything was like finished. Like, I mean, didn't care. like they, they, there's, there's a twist, you know. And um, when the, when the twist happened, I was just like, oh. And then they try to explain everything, and I was just like, okay, this is stupid. You know, I just yeah. didn't. I mean, I don't want to give too much away for people who haven't seen the movie, but I mean, like, essentially, it turns into a situation where our main characters were wrong the whole time. Like they were fearful of these people when really they were the ones encroaching on their particular space and um, they were brought to task for it. And I was just like, that makes no sense to me at all. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's fine. I think I've said way too much about this movie already. 
Well, my other biggest disappointment based on anticipation was Halloween kills. Yeah. I, it I just really, really suffered from like middle movie syndrome to where, to the point to where I felt like really this should have been edited into the first and, and last movie mm-hmm. because it, it really just felt super stretched out, like butter over too much bread or something. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's just not much going on. So it was like, obviously there was a lot of kills and everything, but it didn't really bring anything forward for me. I didn't have really much to say. You know, it just it wasn't super scary. It didn't really bring anything new. It was just like watching a series of vignettes of fan fiction Michael Myers yeah. killing people. I don't know. It just I, didn't feel right. I think at the time you called it an extended trailer for Halloween Ends. Or really? Something like that. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah, I was also disappointed with that one. So yeah. but I think we have a whole hot takes episode that was released back in October if y'all want some more of our thoughts on Halloween kills. Yeah. Well, uh, for, for my last biggest disappointment, I would say Godzilla vs. Kong, although that's one of the ones that you actually liked a lot more than me. I did. I really enjoyed Godzilla vs. Kong. I, I think that I watched it at just the right time, pandemic-wise. You know what I mean? Like, 2020 was what it was, and then 2021, we were given all these, like, day-and-date releases on HBO, and I was really looking forward to this because it seemed like a good, like, popcorn, action-y kind of monster movie, and that's exactly what I got. Ridiculous as it was, I thought yeah, it was great. Sure. I mean, I don't know. It's just, like, it kind of insulted <laughs> it's like at least like make plot points that make sense if you're gonna make a big deal out of something make it a big deal like don't like walk away from that and then just like make it a breeze you know it's just it was just <laughs> such lazy writing to me like yeah. it, it took me out of the experience i i like a big dumb movie but this was like emma stone on snl begs yeah, bad maybe. <laughs> it's just so dumb. I mean, and I totally get that. I think I lowered my rating for this movie later on after thinking about it. And I was like, you know what? Like, my emotional response was not enough to rate this movie, whatever I did. So, but yeah, I mean, I still think it was fun. I don't know that I'll go back and watch it a thousand and one times. But, I mean, I wasn't, like, truly, truly disappointed. All right. Well, let's talk about some biggest surprises. Yeah. Okay. I think my my biggest surprise of the year, because I, I knew they were remaking this movie and I didn't think it was going to be what it was. And that was the Slumber Party Massacre. Okay. This movie is a lot of fun. I think that it takes a lot of like slasher genre tropes and sort of like turns them in really fun ways. Maybe not interesting, you know what I mean? Because I feel like other movies have done this already, but it really creates a good gender swap when it comes to what you would expect from a slasher movie. And in fact, that we have like really strong female characters and a lot of, you know, objection to men or whatever. And I just, I liked that. It was not, was what, it's not what I was expecting when this movie was released. Yeah. It was really creative and how they did it and framed it. Um, overall, I kind of just was like, um, I enjoyed it. You yeah. know, I, I rated it, you know, it's within that sea of three stars for me, mm-hmm. but it's kind of floating on the surface, like flotsam or jetsam or something like that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Debris. Stupid ocean analogy. (laughs) (laughs) Big stupid flotsam. (laughs) I will say that it kind of falls apart toward the end. Like this may have been a lot higher in my top 10 list, you know, for the year had it not just sort of like sort of died toward the end of the movie. It felt like it was really struggling for that tongue in cheek tone, but it it really kind of departed from there in several points. Mm -hmm. And if it had known itself just a little bit better, it could have been really gold. Yeah. Kind of like the next movie that I wanted to talk about as far as surprise, which is Werewolves Within. Oh, my God. You know, um, we'd seen this guy's directorial debut with um, Scare Me mm-hmm. about just two people in a cabin basically telling stories. Such a good movie. To each other without any kind of special effects or anything else. And, of course, I grew up with that guy on on college humor and stuff like that. Not grew up, but you know what I mean? Yeah. And um, 
he had done skits like Precious Plum and everything else. And uh, and then he turns around and this is the second movie, right? Uh, Where it was within, which is based on a video game. And to this day, it's still rated the highest uh, video game movie ever made as far as like critical rating. And it was so good. It was so surprising. And it's on both of, our, I think, our top tens. That's right. I'm sure that we'll be talking about this movie a lot in this episode. But it probably. was such a pleasant surprise. I completely agree with you. I was laughing the entire time watching it. I had such a good time. Such likable characters characters even the ones you're not supposed to like really yep. i mean it's just so well done and i mean i was expecting to like it because you saw it before i did and you you told me and I, I trust your opinion but i really enjoyed it a lot more than i was expecting okay so, um, a movie that i was sort of surprised by just because i wanted to see it and it was you know it had kind of a big release in the theater and i didn't go see it in the theater but it was always on my list and then i got around to it late and that was the night house oh my god so, yeah, I I was expecting this to be like middle of the road horror. Um, and based on the, the trailer that I had seen, like the movie was nothing like the trailer. It was a totally different kind of experience. And thank God. Exactly. You know? I mean, such a surprise. I was expecting to like it, but I wasn't expecting to love it. And I, I did. Yeah. Same here. It was such a big surprise because it's, it just did come in that troop of so many just like, you know, churn out cookie cutter horror films that are kind mm-hmm. of based on things before it. But I I saw some things in the night house that I'd never really seen before, you know, um, it, it, you know, it's, it's, I don't want to oversell it. It's not like his house or, you know, parasite or anything, but it's, it's definitely one of the best horror films of the year. Yes. I completely agree with you. Uh, filled with, you know, lots of good things. And I know that, you know, we'll be talking about that throughout this episode as well. It's going to come up again. So, yeah. Um, what else do you got for surprises? Aquarium of the Dead. <laughs> well, I'm surprised that you have it on Big Surprises. <laughs> well, <laughs> I was just, I was expecting, it's not a disappointment because I have had very low expectations. I had bottom row, like birdemic level <laughs> expectations of this thing, but it was so much worse than that. It was, <laughs> I was so surprised, very shocked, clutching my decolletage at how horrible this movie was. I mean, so, I mean, for those of you who listen to the podcast regularly, like we talked about the trailer for this on a shooting the flames and then Chris and I partook in some gummies and we sat down and watched it after its release. And I mean, as shitty as it is, I had a really good time watching that movie. So, but for the the wrongest reasons. Yeah. That's why I gave it a half star above one. Right. I gave it a one and a half star because it made me laugh at it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, my God, Vivica A. Fox in this movie is fucking priceless. <laughs> I mean, for real though. One of my bi- one of my biggest surprises, and this is kind of a negative surprise, so I don't I don't it, but it's not quite a disappointment, is uh the the remake reboot sequel to Candyman. Oh, okay. So I felt that it was a very well made movie and I I enjoyed the directions that they took the story in, right? I, I really, really enjoyed all of it. But it sort of like committed this cardinal sin of horror movies and I was not scared, like in the slightest. Oh really? See I was. So as you know, most things don't scare me. So right. that doesn't really end up being a sin for me because that would be basically 99% of horror movies. Mm -hmm. I got tense in this one. Uh, I don't know that I was scared, but I I can't say I was scared in almost any of these. Um, But to me, Candyman was actually kind of a pleasant surprise. Not enough for me to list it on my biggest surprises list, but (laughs) you know, I had watched uh, a Candyman and then I immediately turned around in one big sitting to watch the, you know, the new Candyman and they fit so well together. Yeah. 
you know, and the mythology is just kind of deep dove into more and there's like more, even more stakes and the story is like kind of explodes a little bit more and it does have a lot more to say Jordan Peele style kind of about like social issues like gentrification. And, you know, I thought it was just really, really good. And I thought it was done very, very well. So we have a difference in opinion there. And well, and I agree with everything you just said. Like I, I really enjoyed the way they changed the mythology of that character and that, you know, area, you know, I, I really liked all those things about it. And I just like, I literally did not feel like I was on the edge of my seat ever. I felt like the moments that they were trying to be scary just weren't as effective, but I mean, everything else about the movie, I really, I mean, I gave it three and a half stars. I thought it was a great movie. I just, what, I think my expectations were great. Well, I mean, not it's, even on your ratings. I mean, it's good, <laughs> but I, I think my expectations were just far too high. And um, I mean, cause this is something that was pushed back and pushed back throughout the pandemic and it was finally released and I was ready to go see it. And it was the first movie I saw in the theater in well over a year. And I just kind of wanted a little bit more. Yeah. I can so, see that. Yeah. What were some of your favorite performances this year? Well, I mean, number one, I think that Rebecca Hall in the Nighthouse did an excellent job. She's on my short list as well. Yeah, I really feel like she she played like pissed off and sad and just all the emotions you could possibly do very, very well. In and, one conversation with few lines. She can do it out on her face right. very subtly and believably. Uh, I don't know if it's like Oscar worthy, but if there were horror Oscars, she would definitely be a shoe in for best actress. Yeah. I mean, I would expect that, you know, when the Saturn awards come around, she's going to be, you know, in the tops for, for like performance wise. You never know. Some things people just don't see. Yeah. And then, well, and then obviously like she wouldn't be nominated for the Oscars, but if, if someone were having some sort of buzz about it, like she would be the buzziest performance I think this year in a horror movie. Yeah. Um, what about you? Uh, the first on my list is the entire cast of The Green Knight. Okay. Yeah, I can see that. There are so many like really good monologues and like turns of phrase and events and elevated language. And it's done so, so well at every turn so consistently that it was just was just such a great casting across the board. And, and all the cast just brought everything to it, including the lead, of course, played by um, Dev Patel. Dev Patel. Mm-hmm. And uh, just everyone else that was in it, even fucking Joel Edgerton, who I always hate, yeah, was excellent. So it's like a who's who of H24 people in this movie? Yeah, yeah essentially. essentially yeah. Yeah. It's got both the parents from The Witch, uh-huh. right? And the father is the Green Knight himself, and then the mother as um, the Queen. The Queen. Yeah, I, I thought the cast did a really good job in The Green Knight. I, I mean, I would agree with you on that. I, I have my qualms about the movie, although I it's one of the ones that I, I feel like I need to rewatch from this year. Yes, because I think I would have given it a, like a high three or a four one of my first watched mm-hmm. because I love cinematography and I love, you know, like I love fantasy and I love fantasy horror. And it's one of the very, very few. I love mixing genres, love sci-fi horror. Um, I love fucking Western horror. Like I love all the different kind of flavors that you can do on it that aren't just like the cookie cutters. Yeah. And Green Knight is definitely definitely that it wasn't meant to be a horror movie. It wasn't really meant to be anything but what it is. And it's almost undefinable. And every single time I watch it, I find something new. It's like a goddamn onion. There's so many layers of uh, performances and things that are on screen that every single thing was designed and intentional, every single camera movement and everything means something. And so literally I've seen it like three or four times and I've, I've every single time I, I notice multiple new things about it. All the different, like the story beats even reflect each other. Like everything is like a, a microcosm of the wider story as you go through the story itself. And it's such a beautiful, like kind of poetic structure 
Like I, I can't even like remember the last time I've complimented a movie so much just for its structure, the way it was so artfully structured. And so I don't know. I, I really love the fuck out of this movie. I was actually feeling bad about wanting to put it as an adjacent horror film on my top 10. But then I saw, I think what bloody disgusting did it yeah. <laughs> or some, some other big publication for horror. And I was like, okay, validation. And so I just included it in mine as well. Is this your most watched movie of the year? Have you seen this or Dune more times? Ooh, probably equal. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I need to watch it again for sure. Yeah. Dune still is a four star movie for me. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. But um, Green Knight is a five star. For Talk me. about biggest surprises though. Cause I, I really, I mean, I wanted to see Dune cause it looked like a temple kind of movie. Well, you knew it wouldn't be because of Denis Villeneuve and you've, you know, I, I purposely showed you, I think during 2021, early 2021, I showed you, I think um, Blade Runner, Blade Runner 2049. Yeah. When I knew that he makes good movies, uh, but I, I wasn't expecting to, think about that movie as much as I did after it was over. It really stayed with me. And like, if I were making a top 10 list of like overall for 2021, which, which I do after I've seen more, you know, movies, uh, it's definitely in there. I think it's one of the better movies of 2021. Yeah. I have not made a list for the best of outside of horror, me either. Really. but Dune so. would be, would be a part of it almost simply just because of how well designed it is and how transportive it is. Yes. Agreed. And that's something that Denis really excels at is design and transportiveness. And there are some horror adjacencies, so it's not it's not weird that we took this little tangent. Oh, so, definitely. No. There's big monsters. There's like poison knives at your throat. I mean, there's all kinds of shit. There's magical powers. Love it. There's witches. I just, just loved that movie. <laughs> uh, if we're talking about cast, though, I mean, like to me, like as an ensemble, an ensemble, the uh, the best cast of the year is from Werewolves Within. Oh yeah, I think that entire troupe of actors just did an amazing fucking job with what they were given. You know what I mean? They, it seemed like there was no such thing as a small part in that movie. Nope. Like everything fit together nicely. Just like Clue. Yes, exactly. And it was just like it was so wonderfully acted. And these are very gifted comedic actors. But namely, I need to shout out Miliana Vantrub, who played Cecily, sort of the main female, and. Uh, Harvey Guillen, who played Joaquim, right? I just thought they were so fucking good and funny and just brilliant in that movie. And it's so hard when you when you have something like that, where you have like an ensemble like, say, Knives Out or, you know, uh, Werewolves Within or this year's Midnight Mass, yes. you know, where the entire cast is so good. You know, I love that I can point to several movies or several things, I guess, this year that have had such good ensembles. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, that's really good, especially when you're talking about television like Midnight Mass, right? You really have to have a good ensemble cast to keep the story going and to keep it interesting. And, um, you know, he really, really succeeded as far as I'm concerned in that. So, yeah, that's a good shout out, too. Yeah. There are some, like people to point out at midnight mass who I thought did a very excellent job, especially that woman who played sort of like the lead antagonist, right? The lead, um, like religious woman. I, I don't oh, know the yeah. actress's name. We talked about her a little bit when we, I think we talked about it. We never did our deep dive on it. No, we haven't done a deep dive on this. We've mentioned it several times, I think in other shooting the flames or something like that. But I, I know that eventually Chris and I are going to want to sit down, rewatch Midnight Mass, and probably have a longer conversation about it. I want to rewatch Haunting of Hill House again. It's like, well, hell yeah. I mean, Blind Manor can fuck itself, but yeah, I'd even watch that again. Yeah, I would too. <laughs> fuck it. Uh, but speaking of television, uh, I know that you talked at length to me off mic about a show called Brand New Cherry Flavor. 
Yes, I did. And I wanted to call out Rosa Salazar. And it looks like if I'm cheating here, looking at your list, that Catherine Keener, yes. which I didn't even know was cast in that when before I watched it. I, but I finally either. sat down to watch it because I kept seeing it on people's lists of best horror, not necessarily movies, but best horror of the year. And I finally just I just wanted to be a completionist this year. So I watched to sit down and watch the whole thing. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm in love with this. It's like Buffy and Cronenberg had a baby or yes. something like. And so I'm like, people are throwing up kittens. I mean, like, Catherine Keener is like chomping up all the scenery. I did not expect that. And I love it. So I was like, Robert, this is like handmade for you. You Uh need to watch it. And I really did. I loved it. I mean, and it's kind of hard for me to get into like longer format things sometimes. You know what I mean? Because sometimes I'm like, okay, they didn't need episode six. They didn't need episode four whatever. Like push the story along. You can get rid of some of it. I didn't feel that way while watching this show. Like I thought it was really, really good. Yeah. And I especially enjoyed the performances by those two women. I know that in our conversations off mic, you have compared Rosa Salazar to uh, Aubrey Plaza and that sort of deadpan comedic delivery. Yeah, it's an it's an on point description of what that actress is doing in that show. When I first started, I was like, oh, OK, I remember her from uh, Alita Battle Angel. She actually played Alita. And I was like, holy shit, she looks exactly like Alita. Just like the bigger eyes or whatever. Uh-huh. And then I was like, OK, this is a poor man's Aubrey Plaza. And then by the end of the show, I was like, maybe Aubrey Plaza is like a, a poor man's Rosa Salazar. <laughs> She's so good in this. She's yeah. so good. And if any other, you know, actor or actress in that show is better than her, I would say it's Catherine Keener. Oh, my God. Because, like, she really just stole the show as, you know, what could be the antagonist or villain that's kind of questionable, you know? But, I mean, she's just the most fun, out there, random character in a show that's so out there and random itself. You know what I mean? It's like they're trying to one-up it by creating this character that Catherine Keener is playing. And she's just a fucking delight. Yeah. So, I mean, like, if she doesn't get some sort of, like, Emmy nomination or whatever... For this, I would be completely surprised. Unfortunately, I don't think a lot of people watch that show. No, and that's a shame, but I hope they do. Yeah, don't sleep on this one. It's it's totally worth the eight-episode investment. Definitely. Well, I'd also like to talk about Lamb. Okay, I haven't seen this yet. Yeah, you need to. Um, it's something worth talking about. I don't know if it's worth deep diving. Okay. Not much is going on here. Um, it's very, very linear. But I do love the performance, as usual, by Numi Rapace. And I like Numi Rapace. I mean, when I see her in things, which alien was she in? The Prometheus. Prometheus. Yeah. Which we know we both fell in love with again this year. And the first guy to turn into an alien, like in his helmet or whatever, also played King Arthur in The Green Knight, by the way. That's right. <laughs> Just all over the fucking place, right? So, I mean, what made her performance so special in Lamb? Man, she has to be just uh, extremely protective as a mother. Have the like the heights of like the joys of motherhood, and then like also like the nightmare of losing your your child, and mm-hmm. then like there's a lot of melancholy in this, and just kind of like going through just like normal. You believe that this person exists. She really sells that this character exists, and she has a very hard perspective on it. And it's worth it just to see the performances alone, I think, in this and then kind of think about what's going on. But I don't know. It's like a, these are the days of our lives version of uh, The Dark and the Wicked. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, like the, the extremely British, like room with a view version of. Of Darker Than Wicked? Yeah. Okay. Well, that kind of sells it. I mean, like, again, we've been talking about, like, what people have been saying online, you know, and I, I think that given the last couple of years, people have turned to online conversations a lot more. And this movie was kind of trashed. 
really? over social media. I yeah. see it all over people's top tens, though. Right. I mean, these are just random people, you know, who are expressing their opinions yeah, it's online. Yeah, it's pretty artsy in a way, but and, it's yeah. not as artsy as you think. You know, it's just very, very straightforward and it's very high, you know, um, concept. High concept. Yeah. You know, very, very specific. <laughs> I would say so. You know, it's very, very memorable for that reason as well, though. And it's the, the, the fact that the performances are so perfect in this. I, I don't want people to sleep on this either, just so that there's a conversation and just so it could be seen, you know? I think a lot of the conversation on social media about this particular movie was because they thought it was going to be a little bit more of a horror movie. Yeah, it's, it's more of a horror at the beginning and the end. Okay. And, and in between, it's more like a, a room with a view. Um, <laughs> but it also is a very beautiful, beautifully shot, beautifully photographed living catalog for a bunch of chunky knits. Oh, my God. Well, sign me up. Shit. I mean, that's the only reason I want to travel to other countries so I can wear my fucking sweaters. If you open the letterbox reviews, like half of them are like, well, now I know what sweater I'm buying my little baby this way. <laughs> <laughs> All made out of her lamb. Um yeah, I don't know. I mean, obviously on the film flamers, we talk about horror adjacency and we love a horror adjacency. And I think, you know, a lot of a lot of the horror community doesn't like that sort of thing, maybe. So I don't I don't know. I do want to see Lamb. It's very high on my list. Mm-hmm. A movie that um, is very, very horror adjacent. And there's been a lot of argument, especially on Letterboxd reviews that I've seen, is a movie called The Humans. Okay. And um some of the best performances that I saw this year came from this movie, namely Richard Jenkins, Jane Hoodshell, and Amy Schumer, of all people, oh, wow. uh, are in a movie that I would very much consider to be a horror movie, you know? And really? I, yeah, I, I, from, from like a set standpoint alone, I feel like they've created an environment that is very much like any other haunted house movie. But the real horror in this is sort of like a family coming to terms with what makes them so dysfunctional and stuff. It seems upon watching the trailer and seeing people you know, talk about it. It feels more like a, a dark dramedy. Yeah. And it does have aspects of that. I mean, but there, there are like strange noises going on. This movie made me jump more times than Candyman did <laughs> just from like, just random jump scares. You know what I mean? And so like, they really try very hard to create this, this horror environment for a very sort of like dark dramedy kind of movie. Yeah, but did it have bees? I don't think so. No, it did not have any bees. But it had Amy Schumer sitting on the toilet a lot, which can be scary as well, I guess. But I mean, like those performances. I do I try and avoid that just as much as I try and avoid bees. <laughs> so, I mean, frightening in general. <laughs> uh, we haven't really talked about Last Night in Soho at all in this conversation yet. Well, Cow Eyes deserves all the awards. But For real. That's I mean, just, you know, a standing thing. Anytime that she's in a movie, I feel at this point, I think she's one of our better actresses these days. But I mean, Thomas and McKenzie was also really good in this. Yeah, she's been playing a lot of like super confident roles, though. Mm -hmm. I'd I'd like to see her kind of step away from that a little bit and, you know, more to her roots from The Witch. Yeah. And um, Diana Rigg. I mean, like a fond farewell, right? Mm -hmm. It was her last role. So lots of good performances in Last Night in Soho. It's true. Um, what about from like a visual effects or like production or art direction standpoint? What are the movies that looked the best? Well, the green Knight more than anything else. Yeah. I mean, I should put that on my list too. Honestly. Uh, last night in Soho, obviously like the, the biggest thing to me is like a lot of the subtle work they did with mirrors Mm -hmm. in last night in Soho. And like a lot of the reveals they did transitioning from like modern age to like 1960s. Uh, I thought that was really, really done well. I liked a lot of like the ghost stuff that they did in that. Um, and then uh, I want to say the Nighthouse 
really had some subtle work done that you're not quite sure is in camera or not. And that is an achievement to me. Yes, I would agree with you. I mean, like there are some moments that were truly frightening and they were brief. Architecture horror. (laughs) (laughs) We still got to do that top 10 too, because I'm putting that on the fucking list. (laughs) Um, Last Night in Soho and another movie that I really liked a lot last year called Malignant sort of share a visual style in a sense that it's sort of like based or sort of like, you know, reverent to Giallo films. Sure. And I really dig that anyway, just as a horror fan. And I thought that it was executed really well on both of those movies. I think they were neat to look at just from that particular like color palette standpoint, you know, I don't see that as much as malignant. Malignant had a lot. Most of the like Giallo aspects in malignant had to do with story more. Right. But they did some other good, like Giallo type things. Like there's some good color moments there's some good like leather glove moments you know what i mean that that you it's visual well i would say it's less giallo and more keanu from like the matrix you know there's a lot of giallo all over malignant i mean i i really really liked that movie and last night in soho for those for those reasons mostly yeah what about tv yeah i know we've talked about midnight mass and we've talked about uh brand new cherry flavor kind of at length but uh there was a show on hbo that i really really enjoyed and like i said i don't watch a lot of tv or at least extended episode kind of things and this, but this was good it's called lovecraft country and it's also been um canceled right yes they're not having a second season that sucks uh which does suck because the show was just fantastic and I this watched- was an anthology right no, it's it's the same. It's a story. Or maybe them as the anthology. I keep mixing those two up. Them is an. I think them is an anthology. Okay. I have. I didn't watch them yet. It's really high on my list. But Lovecraft Country sort of had everything that I wanted, and like a horror series. It had really really cool monsters. It had a really good storyline. It had a good message, and it paid a lot of homage to horror movies and horror stories of that time period. So we're talking like the forties and the fifties, yeah. right? And it really gave. Um, a voice and a presence to African-Americans who were completely shut out of making like science fiction and horror movies in in those decades. Right. It gave us a chance to see them like in, in those situations. And it was just a really good show. Again, wasn't bored by any of the episodes, thought the acting was great. Uh, the production was great and I, I really would like to see a second season, but thankfully to me, I think it ended on a really good note. Like I'm kind of satisfied with how it ended. Okay. Well so, then I'll definitely have to watch it. It's on my list. I want you to, I never, it's yeah. Them and Lovecraft country and Chucky are on my list from this year. And I just never, that's the big miss for me is a lot of the TV that we had. Now the, the person behind brand new cherry flavor, I believe is also the showrunner of Chucky. Oh really? You know, so that that'd be interesting to, to kind of compare and contrast that tone, but we've heard a lot of good things, especially from listeners about Chucky. And so I want to, I want to see that. Uh, the only other TV show that I want to discuss because we have discussed and gushed over midnight mass mm-hmm. uh, and brand new cherry flavor is squid game. And I haven't seen this yet, which a lot of people watched this year. Yeah. Um, not necessarily horror fans. I don't know. I don't think, but um, there's definitely a lot of horror adjacency and a lot of like kid kids games like hide and seek and Simon says and things like that, that are really horrified. You know, like if you don't stop exactly when you're supposed to, mm-hmm. when Simon says or whatever, then you were literally shot to death, you know? Holy shit. Yeah. And there's a, there's a big mass moment where there's hundreds of people and they're just running towards the end to survive. And then this big creepy fucking seven foot, eight foot tall doll turns her head. And when she opens her eyes, if you, if she sees movement, you get shot. 
Oh my God. So it's like red light, green light kind of thing. Red light, green light. That's what it is. Yeah. Uh Not Simon Says, whatever it is. But um, it's a lot of those games like that. Uh And like, if you don't cut cut the perfect like shape out of this cookie or whatever, win this game of marbles or uh, a game of tug of war. If if the one team loses, guess what? They're all tied together and they fall down a chasm and they all get crushed to death. And you have to watch all this stuff. And there's a lot going on here and a lot to say about... um, like the the rich and the poor dynamics, a lot of people are like down on their luck and and in debts. And so and they have the decision like they can leave almost at any time, but they have this thing that they can do at the end where they, they get a whole bunch of money and they can like fix their life and everything yeah. else. But it's all these rich people that are putting this together. You know what I mean? And so all the inner workings of that and how that's came to be and, you know, how it kind of works behind the scenes and then the backgrounds of all these different characters and then the games themselves, which are just like heart wrenching and like panicky and 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 just some visceral, visceral entertainment, uh, certainly visually, it's definitely worth a watch. I need to watch this. And I, I mean, I know that we're like, maybe horror fans didn't. I feel like everybody in the world watched Squid Game except for me last year. You know, it it's had like a, Parasite, the game show. It know. had a cultural <laughs> moment for a while, you know, and like it seemed like everybody in the world was talking about Squid Game. And um, you had told me you had started watching it. And I was like, shit, now I'm like the only one. So I need to. And I still haven't. But it's, I mean, even when you're talking about it then when you're watching it and talking about it now, it does seem like something that I would enjoy. It's a little all over the place. There's a lot of five-star moments. There's a lot of three-star moments. Uh, Eventually, I think I gave it like three and a half or a four. Mm -hmm. But it's definitely still worth the watch to having had, had seen it and experienced it. I mean, I will say, I know the Golden Globes just aren't a thing anymore, but um, there was the Best Supporting Actor win for television went to one of the characters from Squid Game. Oh, yeah. There's yeah. a lot of great acting on that show. Dude. So, yeah. They had a very good ensemble, actually. But I'm with you on the big miss, man. I really wanted to watch Chucky. I don't know why I didn't. I saw people gushing all over the place, and it's it's probably going to be one of the first things that I, I watch in the new year. Yeah. Well, I think that just brings it to, like... You know, as a whole, what were some of your favorite movies of 2021? Well, I mean, I could just go through my top 10. The Green Knight is obviously my favorite film of the year, let alone horror film. My number two was Werewolves Within, and the third was Nighthouse. So obviously we've already gushed about these, and those rounded out my top three. And then I have to give it to TV, because I'm saying best horror of the year, not just movies, right? Right. So Midnight Mass is actually my number four. Such an excellent out-of-the-park hit by Mike Flanagan. Almost a return to form if if Bly Manor hadn't been so fucking good. Yeah. Because, um, you know, even that's a four-star versus, like, the Midnight Mass and the Haunting of Hill House being fives, you know? Definitely. And uh, then, you know, following up with Last Night in Soho at my number five, A Quiet Place Part Two, which we have not talked about, but such a very, very solid, you know, second chapter to the story um, with a lot more emphasis on the the deaf child, uh, which was – just great. I thought it was just an excellent sequel. I agree. Um, if not as good, uh, nearly as good as the first one. Following up with another TV, brand new cherry flavor at number seven. And number eight, The Conjuring sequel, The Devil Made Me Do It. I thought this was very, very solid, focusing on the relationship you know, between Patrick, whatever his fuck, and Vera Farmiga. Vera Farmiga. And uh, it, I, I thought that was a, also a very, very worthy sequel, very strong, almost as strong as Quiet Place 2. And then my number nine is Candyman. I liked it a whole lot more than you. I thought it had a lot more to say, and it was a really interesting message horror, and I and just like the first one, and uh, kind of modernizing it to like Jordan Peele levels for me, and I really, really enjoyed it. And my number 10 being Malignant, rounding that out. 
Well, I mean, a lot of mine are the same. So, I mean, my my favorite horror movie of last year was The Night House. Yeah. I, I thought that it was very, very good. I was pleasantly surprised by how good it was and so different than what I was expecting. My number two movie, and it's very close. These are almost a tie, is Werewolves Within. I thought that it was just a fucking fantastic movie and hilarious with a great cast. Uh, number three for me was Malignant. Again, I mean, I had such a good time watching this movie. I knew I was going to like it, and um, and it really paid off for and me. And I knew you were going to like it more than me. Yeah, I know. And, and, like, I watched it. You watched it for the second time when I was watching it for the first. And, I mean, like, you could see me just, like, like shrieking with enjoyment <laughs> halfway all the way through this movie. Re- if any of you haven't seen it, it was a reveal kind of with, like, a little... <laughs> or whatever yeah. and i just remember looking over at robert because i knew he was gonna react and he was just like yeah <laughs> i mean i had the biggest fucking smile on my face because it was it was a ridiculous movie and i had such a good it's time like with james it. wan and like sam raimi had a baby in that movie it yeah was great. and and that baby was, was <laughs> right there in front of you uh my number four goes to last night in soho i really enjoyed the shit out of this movie too i thought that it was a lot of fun i thought it was like a really solid like new giallo and i i mean i enjoyed all the performances in that movie and it had the best fucking soundtrack like i listen to it all the time my number five is a movie called saint Maud, and technically this was widely released in 2021 in america so i know that many people had seen it beforehand but this was a really moody kind of like quasi-religious character study of two women is she crazy is it actually happening right you know the, literally the last second literally the last second of this movie validates the audience yes and uh that's what like, i think i gave it a half star higher just for that for, just for that last second i really really enjoyed the performance in that movie too it should have been on my list um and it's it's a it's a kind of it's it's a quiet but disquieting i, I love seeing jennifer eel l ellie whatever however you all say those it. things of course she was in our Wonderful Pride and Prejudice from the 90s. But. That's right. My number six movie was A Quiet Place too. It's the exact same place on my list as yours. Oh, shit. I, I mean, I, I liked this movie. I thought it was solid. Um, in fact, like, you know, I sort of like rank my movies as I watch them throughout the year. And this was much higher. And it sort of like bumped its way down with some of these other movies that I watched, you know, afterward. Yeah. But it was a really good movie and great performances. And I'm looking forward to things that come from that universe or franchise. My number seven was Midnight Mass, mm-hmm. um, which I thought was excellent. Uh, I really stand a monologue, and that movie was that movie. That TV show was full of them, so I liked it. Number eight for me was The Humans, and I don't think that this is going to be on anybody else's top ten horror list this year. So I couldn't find it. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, you have to have subscribed to Showtime to watch this movie. Yeah, and I couldn't even rent it. Yeah, so and usually I can rent those uh, from Amazon when they're exclusives, like on HBO or something else. But for this, for some reason, they're making it super exclusive, and you can't even fucking rent it. And me. I don't know why they won't even take my money, Robert. So I couldn't watch it. That's silly. I mean, I hope that they they release it a little bit more widely because I thought it was a very good movie and I would love to continue the conversation as to whether or not it's a horror movie because I'm going to die on that hill. Okay. Uh, number nine for me was Brand New Cherry Flavor. Um, I thought this was a lot of fucking fun and I'm super glad that you watched it so in turn that I did. So I will be ever thankful for you, you know, talking to me for over an hour about that show <laughs> and then making me go watch it because it was good. Uh, and my last, uh, number 10, 10 best movie of 2021 was Titan. 
Titan, Titan, Titanium, whatever. That's right. French so, Extremity. French Extremity. So you know I had to throw it on the list. And um, I kind of rated it lower than I have my rating now. And I just went back and thought about that movie a lot more afterwards. And I was like, you know what? I enjoyed it more than what I did. So I raised my rating. Okay, good for you. I mean, there's a woman who has sex with a Cadillac and gets pregnant. So, I mean, what's not to love? Everything. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, it's one of those movies. I just, I don't think I could see again. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I mean, I'm sure that I'll watch it again. It was well done and well acted, but it has, I don't know that it has anything to, to say really. It's and if it does, shit. it's not saying it loudly. No. I mean, obviously there are a lot of movies that we didn't touch on that we watched in 2021. These are just some of our favorites and the best. Yeah. I mean, we, we could talk about so much more. Like, I think you just finally watched the vigil. Yes, I did. I liked it very much. You know, these are in our special mentions because they, they're in kind of like 11 through 20 category yeah. on our list. Okay. Yeah. And if you go to Letterboxd, both of us have lists that are like anywhere from, I think, yours is 33 and mine's like 45 films long. And you can literally see all of our ratings across the board, not just our top 10s, but our top 20s and top 30s. Exactly. Now, somewhere past 15, I think maybe we've stopped really recommending things. I don't know. But, uh, you know, I, we definitely saw things like The Medium, The Vigil. You still need to see The uh, the Medium. Actually. I do. You know, uh, I feel like old has a conversation to be had about it yeah you know you still need to see lamb um you know we both saw censor god there's so many movies uh antlers was a disappointment i should have said that was the biggest disappointment yeah because i think we were looking forward to that a really lot were, as yeah. well i mean that didn't even make it into my top 20 i was so disappointed with it um i did watch a movie that i think i've already talked about on probably probably our last like hot take episode um, and that was Violation. I thought that that movie was really, really good. I, th- I thought for sure that was going to end up on your top 10, but just so many things have been watched and so many things have come out yeah. over the last you know, like six months or so that it's just been pushed off and pushed off. But it was it was a really good, you know, solid rape revenge movie. <laughs> it didn't make me feel good, you know, but it was. I don't know. I think there's a little bit too much ambiguity in there. there well, and I taste. think they did it on purpose. You know what I mean? This is not something that I'll watch over and over again no. for sure. But this is probably the one time watch and how I felt while watching it. Uh, the Vigil is a really good example of, hey, maybe like. Uh, the 50 minute horror movie is a good argument mm-hmm. to have because the vigil's first half was excellent. Yeah. Very spooky. Oh my God. One I was, of the scariest in the year. I was fucking terrified. But that second half, they just like explode exposition at you and it's just dumb. Yep. So it's just like cut out that last half, man, and just go for it. Like the, what was the, the zoom call one that came out in 2020? That was only 50 minutes. Long. Host host. Yeah. Do it like that. When, when you were dealing with streaming, you don't have to go for a full two and a half hours or something. Yeah. You know? Well, and then like one of the shortest really movies did. of the year this year was censor, right? It was less than an hour and a half long. Yeah. You know? And I know that you didn't really care for it Not and, at all. And I, I liked it only from like a horror fanboy standpoint. You know what I mean? There's so much horror history yeah. that's going on in this. And that's, that's really what it is. But like, I feel like that movie started out really strongly and it's, it's a very short movie, but it could have been longer. They, it could have stretched its legs just a little bit more, you know? Yeah. These are the things that have just, if something else had happened or someone else had looked at a script or some other editor or some other director, I don't know. Something was kind of lost in translation behind these, like the boy behind the door is an yeah. example of this, where I'm literally screaming at the screen because the characters, even children are being so fucking stupid uh-huh. <laughs> and counterproductive. Like it's just, it's painful to watch and not in a good way. 
No, I mean, that's a very yeah. tense movie. I mean, it was a scary movie to me, but you're right. You See, know, if it's not believable in some sort of action way, then, yeah. yeah. I mean, but, you know, these are the movies that you should head over to Letterboxd. You follow the Film Flamers, follow Chris and I separately. You can you can see our list and see what we watch, just, you know, things that we don't talk about on the podcast. It's a yeah. really good way to get to know some of our viewing habits. Some of the wet Grinch salads, like the My Heart Can't Beat Unless You Blah Blah Blah. I mean, I really liked that movie too. That was number 11 on my list. (laughs) So what do you think the future of horror looks like, you know, beyond 2022? I don't know. It's funny. Um, I feel like we're kind of at a crossing point now that elevated quote unquote elevated horror became kind of like the, the next phase and the slasher and stuff like that. And the, the new a 24, like heralded all these things like it follows and the witch and uh, you know, Jordan Peele's stuff. And like, we're in kind of a new age of horror but already it's being commented on as, uh-huh. as a movement, right? We've seen this with the newest Scream movie. That's right. Very explicitly calling them out by name, you know? And so it's going to be interesting to see how it transitions from here. We're almost at a turning point to see these, what we would call new style of horror, elevated horror, whatever you want to call it, message horror, to be commenting on itself again, you know, to be to have a, a little bit of elevated meta-commentary on this new group of horror films that have come out in the last, you know, five to 10 years. So it's going to be interesting to see how those continue. And I agree. I feel like, I don't know that if the theater has had its final death knell or not, like obviously Spider-Man made a gobbledygillion dollars. And then you have other movies that people were expecting to make a lot of money and didn't. And I feel like the movies that are going to be released to the theater are going to be things that we're already comfortable with, you know, like we're going to see a lot more, screams we're gonna see a lot more halloween yeah scream dethrones spider-man finally you know so i mean and then i feel i'm so glad that we're finally into an age where people will trust streaming enough to like send your movie out there earlier than expected or sometimes just to streaming and find the wider audience you know because some of these movies that are on our top 10 list or top 20 list are things that I watched on like Hulu? All of these these streaming studios are are holding all their numbers super close to the chest, yeah, because they're super close in competition, and they don't want it widely known that this movie did better than Hulu's movie or blah 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 blah, mm-hmm. you know. And so I feel like that's not super protective of creatives that are trying to make these movies and make educated decisions on how much money they're going to make in order to make more things. You know, I'd love to see some of these people that are making these smaller things or this, some of the things that were more surprising to make more films uh, and feel confident in going to streaming. But I feel like until some of these numbers and some of the, the people kind of, I don't know, publish what they're making from these, from streaming, People are going to be still tied to the, that old, you know, milk cow for the theater. <laughs> and I, I hate going to the theater at this point almost. Yeah, I'd rather just watch things at home. They're know? so run down and mismanaged and cobwebby. <laughs> I mean, and you never know, you know. I mean, I just, I, I'm much more happy at it's home. It's like going to like a horror, like rundown theme park or something every time <laughs> I go to an AMC at this point. <laughs> But I mean, at least we say that some of these movies found an audience on these streaming platforms when they may not have, you know, and so I'll give them props to that. Well, uh, finally, last question. uh, What are you most looking forward to in 2022? Well, I had to go and look, you know, because we've got a lot of movies coming out. We've got Morbius, The Black Phone, which we've already shit on its trailer. <laughs> which they've already pushed it back. Uh, nope. L- literally a film called Nope. Sorry. I, Jordan Peele. It's really high on my Fucking list. love it. It's, yes. it's probably my number one most anticipated. Me too. it just looks so good. The poster is like 
kind of runs like a Jordan Peele's version of it or something. Well, just, anytime I see Jordan Peele's name attached to something, I want to see it. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. And, and this is directed by him directly, right? Yes, produced, it is. So. And I mean, he produced Candyman and, um, and, and Nia DaCosta directed it. And well, I mean, while I was disappointed by it, it was a really good movie. So I'm still excited for no, anything that Jordan really Peele well comes out with. Yeah. And we're also getting Salem's Lot. Yes, I'm ready for a new version of Sam's Lot. Yeah, so that'll be interesting. Well, we got that with Midnight Mass, didn't we? Ah, uh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> a very long version of it. We also get Halloween Ends, you know, which could be really, really good if it's not just another commercial or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's got to be better than this last one. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. Uh, the Jeepers Creepers Reborn, who cares? Uh, something called Dark Harvest. Uh, Evil Dead Rise on HBO, yeah. which is going to be kind of, I think, within the universe that was rebuilt back in like 2011, 2012. Mm-hmm. Again, without Bruce fucking Campbell. It's like, make these while they're still alive, man. Like, we, everyone wants another Evil Dead with Bruce Campbell directed by Sam Raimi. Just they finally it. released the poster today, though. Have you seen it? No. It's an Evil Dead, like, deadite hand holding a high-rise apartment building. So now we know why they call it Evil well, Dead Rise. All right. Poltergeist 3, here we go. Yeah, that's right. Mirrors. All right. And then we're getting a Hellraiser show, like, uh, or maybe a movie on Hulu that's a lot supposed to be a lot closer to, like, The Hellbound Heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that'll be interesting. Uh, we're getting Prey also on Hulu, which <laughs> is a Predator Yes, uh, the Predator I'm super franchise. excited for Prey, and we're getting Knives Out too, which should be out by the end of the year theoretically if it's not pushed back. Um, I do want to say that Knives Out too has a very very interesting cast. I was just reading that. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we'll be talking about Knives Out too and shooting the flames. Yeah, so, so stay tuned for that. There was some some definite news about that. Okay, well, stay tuned for shooting the flames February. <laughs> <laughs> I am really, I mean, Salem's Lot and we're getting a new Firestarter this year. So a couple of new Stephen King adaptations. And I'm really looking forward to X because I really like Ty West. And it seems like a really good A24 porno slasher. So, I mean, sign me up. Uh, the Northman is oh coming out. God, how did I miss that? Yeah. And I am always interested in uh, Roger Eggers stuff. There's a movie called Don't Worry Darling that's There's coming Robert out. Eggers. Is it Robert Eggers? It's like the 50th time you've like misset his name. I won't. You just don't want to call him Robert. I don't know why. I refuse. It's my name. (laughs) Uh, There's a movie called Don't Worry Darling coming out starring Florence Pugh. And so anytime that her name is attached to something, I'm down for it. I love Florence Pugh. Yeah. So there's that. And Prey, really. I mean, like Prey just sounds like it's going to be excellent. I want Cow Eyes and uh, Florence Pugh to do something. Me too. Like a sequel to Midsummer. Oh my God. Cow Eyes and Midsummer. <laughs> With Numi Rapace. I don't know. I hope everyone gets that inside joke, right? Her name is Anya Taylor Joy. <laughs> and we like her very much, but uh, we call her Cow Eyes. And you can find a t shirt with her picture on it, and it says Cow Eyes on over our store. on our store. <laughs> so. I think that just about wraps up our conversation of 2021's best and worst horror movies. The year is officially up in flames, but we would like to know what some of your favorites or maybe least favorites of the year were. And you can find us to tell us that on social media at the film flamers on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. You can email us at tired Queens at filmflamers.com, or you can call us at 972-666-7733. Call our black phone. Pet my chunky net. My knives are out. <laughs> Don't worry, darling. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> I know, I'm just reading things off a list. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, that also wraps up all of our content for January, but we have a bonus episode coming out for you on Single White Female. That's right. And lots more content coming out in 2022. As always, in February, we're doing some romantic horror films, and we're talking about Hellraiser. And Hellraiser 2. That's right. The most romantic of all gory movies. (laughs) Is it? No. (laughs) But I want to talk about it anyway. Uh, All right, Chris. It's time for us to just traipse off into 2022 and have some sweet dreams. Is it Robert Eggers? I mean, I don't know. On the cock at the base. <laughs> but why do I have an aversion to calling him Robert? I don't know. <laughs> Roger Eggers. <laughs> Wait. Roger Eggers. I don't know. I think I corrected someone recently, too, and now I feel like a dumbass. <laughs> <laughs>